From the front lines to the home front, America's military veterans and first responders are committed to serving our nation and our community and protecting our way of life. The Epic Times Battlefield Project, in partnership with the Havoc Journal, gives voice to America's service community and highlights their successes and their struggles, their triumphs, and their tragedies. In their own words and from their own hearts, these are their battlefields. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Battlefields Podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Charlie Fink, once again bringing you stories from the front lines and the home front. As usual, if you like what we're doing here on Battlefields, please download and share this episode and leave us a five-star review. And if you are interested in being a future guest, our contact information is in the show notes. Today's guest is Vicki Cody. Vicki is an accomplished author, an Army wife, and an advocate for Army families. She spent 33 years as an Army wife, supporting her husband and her two sons in their military careers while managing the triumphs and tribulations of life as a military spouse. Vicki's two most recent books are Army Wife, a story of love and family in the heart of the Army, and Fly Safe, a collection of letters between her and her deployed husband. You can find more information about Vicki Cody and her work in support of military families on her website, VickiCody.com. Hey, Vicki, thank you so much for being on the Battlefields podcast. Super excited to have our first Army spouse and accomplished author on the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks, Charlie, for having me. I love any opportunity to talk about spouses and Army life and military life in general. So thanks for having me. So, Vicki, I normally start at the beginning of your of one's military experience when I do these podcasts, but... I think we'll start with the end, and I'm referring to your book, Army Wife, A Story of Love and Family in the Heart of the Army, which is a fascinating read, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes for anyone who's interested. But in the last chapter, you talk about the important things in life, and reflecting back on the two books I read, Fly Safe and Army Wife, it seems like that's kind of been your guiding star, your touch point throughout your experiences with the military and beyond. So can we start this interview with you talking a little bit about what's important in life and how you found that useful? Yes. So, you know, I think early on as an Army spouse, and and I had no background in this, Um, you know, my family, no one had served, my husband, no one in his family. So I came into this like right out of college. My husband was already stationed in Hawaii. I knew very little about this way of life. Um, and I think from the beginning, when I when I saw how um, in a moment things could change uh, for the good or the bad, you know, right away we started experiencing either deployments. Uh, we postponed our wedding for three months um, while he went to help with the evacuation of, of Vietnam. So that was my first clue that I wasn't really in charge and my husband wasn't either. So it was like. And then as as the years went on and there was more and more of that, um, I realized that if I didn't focus on the here and the now and the positive that was coming out of all of this, I was not going to be a real happy person. And I choose to be happy over being morose or sad, you know, any day. So I think I learned quickly to adapt to this way of life. And to really focus on what I had right in the moment. And, you know, Army life, military life isn't easy. 
Um, there's a lot of moving. There's constant readjustments, um, you know, changing the pace. Uh, then certainly when we had kids and, you know, I wanted so much for the our sons to have a normal life, even with their dad coming and going all the time. So I think for me, it was a matter of, of survival. It was like, if I didn't learn to make the most of this way of life, I was just not going to, you know, it wasn't going to work for me. And so it's amazing how when you get into that mindset, you find the silver lining in different, you know, situations. Um, and so throughout the my husband's career and my life as an army wife, I continued to do that. And I don't know that I realized I was doing it until I started writing it all down. And then it was kind of like, that was one of my coping mechanisms, and I didn't realize it at the time. I just always wanted to make a normal life and uh, create a good home for our sons and my husband. So I think it just came to me that that's what I had to do. Well, choosing to be happy is certainly an important thing in life and a great way to live. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking when you were talking just a minute ago, you talked, you mentioned that you're your husband and you, neither one of you came from a military family, but you had two sons that joined the army. I was reading in your book and reading an army wife about how you and your husband met, which I thought was interesting and quite humorous. So can you tell the audience a little bit about how you and your husband got together? Oh, well, <laughs> um, it was the summer of 69 and uh, my sister was dating Dick's, my husband's cousin, and they kind of fixed us up. And I was the youngest one in the group. I was only 16. And I just fell madly in love with him. My husband, he was a cadet at West Point. I'd never known anybody like that. And he was, you know, it was very exciting. And uh, but I was only in high school. So we dated for about six years. Um, you know, I finished high school, then four years of college. And uh, yeah, so it was just kind of a a fluke because he wasn't from my hometown. And I think about that chance encounter, um, how different my life would be or would have been, you know, had I not met him that night in uh, June of 1969. Well, you had an entire chapter about communication in your book. And one part that I thought was very interesting was the way that communication has evolved from the time you met your husband to current times. And I, I read in there about a event that you had when you're communicating with your husband over the Mars radio system. <laughs> and can, uh, you, can you talk a little bit about that and especially what he later told you, the operator told him about you on that call? Yes. So um, I was still, it was um, senior year of uh, college for me. I was at the University of Vermont uh, living in a sorority house and we were engaged and we were supposed to get married. And then he called me one day and said he was leaving and couldn't tell me where. He ended up on the island of Guam to help with the um, evacuation of Vietnam. So anyway, it's like, you know, a month or two goes by and the wedding's been postponed, but he's not really telling me much of anything. And I'm getting a little bit anxious there, sitting there in Burlington, Vermont, you know, with no prospects. I didn't know what was going on. And so he calls me this, this one time and um, it, he would call on a, it was called a Mars station. So it was almost like this two-way radio thing where he called from Guam and it went through, um, a Navy operator, maybe in Connecticut somewhere. And so th on the call, it I had to say over 
after each thing I said. And he would do the same thing. Well, I just kept giggling because I'd never done anything like that. But anyway, this call, and I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that the operator would be listening because he had to patch us back and forth. So I gave my husband the ultimatum that summer. And I said, you know, I'm getting sick of waiting to hear when you're coming home and when we're getting married. And if you don't marry me this summer, you know, I'm moving on. And so finally he says, okay, yeah, yeah, set a date. And so he, after we hang up, the Navy operator says to my husband, you better marry that girl. And I didn't even find that out until months later when he returned from Guam and we got married. But I thought that was so cute that that Navy operator was really pulling for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, many thanks to anonymous Navy radio operator on the Mars system. Exactly. So, So we had situation with the Mars radio with people actively listening in. And then how were you able to communicate with your husband and later on your sons when they had deployed to places like Iraq and Afghanistan? Well, um, so then, you know, by the time I wrote this most recent book, Fly Safe, uh, Letters from the Gulf War and Reflections from Back Home, that book is based solely on the letters that my husband wrote me during Desert Storm. And a lot of people, they forget that Back in 1990, 1991, we still didn't have email. We didn't have personal computers. um, And the phone calls from the combat zone were few and far between. So we wrote letters all the time um, and we got used to that. And it was it was fine. Uh, We had done that throughout our marriage when he was stationed in Korea for a year when we had our first um, child. Um, we relied on letters and occasional phone calls. So for us, it was nothing new. Um, and, and the letters were great. And, and that's, that was the basis for that recent book. And so when our sons first started deploying to Iraq and Afghanistan, um, in the early two thousands, initially, you know, they didn't have, um, access to phone calls either in the early years. So once again, we started doing the letters, the occasional phone call. And then, you know, by, I want to say their deployments in maybe 2006, 2007, around the mid 2000s, by then, you know, the, the soldiers were taking cell phones with them. And um, so then we were able to communicate a little bit Um, But, you know, they couldn't always just use those phones for just anything because if things were going on. um, And you know what I learned, Charlie, that, um, you know, if you get dependent on those daily phone calls, which both of our sons were married by then and their wives were very dependent on daily phone calls or sometimes even FaceTime. Well, when those phone calls stop, if there's an incident where the person's station, you know, they black out everything. You can't use your phones. And then that causes, I think, sometimes more stress because they've been used to almost checking in daily and then they don't get to for a few days. Whereas I never got used to that. I mean, I, I, I was so lucky if I got a phone call once a month or whatever, you know. So, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword nowadays when they deploy and they do have access to FaceTime and and phone calls, um, you know, but the upside is they're always in touch with their family and their little kids. If, if they have kids back home, you know, our grandsons would get to see their daddy and talk to him. And they did, you know, when they were young, the 
the grandkids, they didn't know their dad was in a combat zone. They just knew he was somewhere. So, you know, there's, there's a good side to that as well. But to me, I, I don't know. I loved the letters. And um, to me, that was, it was, it was really a nice way to communicate. I think. I agree. And there's, Something special about getting something in the mail, a mail call, even if it's just a little postcard or or a little care package. And I think you brought up a great point about the communication. It is a bit of a double-edged sword. So when you get conditioned to something happening every day and you look forward Mm -hmm. to it and it doesn't happen, it can be worse than not. Right. I think so. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, For my wife and me, we did a phone call a week. I tried to call Mm -hmm. her every Sunday. And if I couldn't, for whatever reason, then I'd call the next day. And that worked right. out well for us. I think that I think that's good too. When my husband was in Korea for um, a one-year um, tour, we did the same thing. Well, that's all we could afford back then. It was the late seventies, <laughs> and the phone calls were so expensive. But it was a Sunday evening phone call. That was fine. I, you know, because I had the whole week to look forward to that next phone call. I, I don't know. I don't think I would need a daily check-in. I'm just not that type of person. Maybe sure, sure. So what was harder for you personally, your husband going to combat or your sons? Oh, absolutely. The sons. <laughs> it is it is a whole different ball game. You know, my husband um, and except for, you know, when he left, when we had to postpone the wedding. Um, otherwise, you know, he would come and go over the years, but he didn't have a big full on deployment until Desert Storm. And by then he was 40. We had been married for like 15 years. Um, so, you know, it, it's funny because I always looked at my husband like he was indestructible. Nothing would ever happen to him. You know, only during some dark moments would I venture there and think, oh, you know, what if? But for the most part, I always in my heart thought he would be fine and he would come home safe. You know, fast forward to having, you know, our son, first son, you know, right out of flight school, only a few hundred hours of flying time, probably. He goes right off to Afghanistan for those the early days of, um, well, it was Operation Anaconda. It was the hardest time of my life. I thought it was at the time um, because I saw him as my little boy. I didn't see him as this grown man that was a pilot. I was, it was scary. It was scary for my husband. And then like a year later, Clint goes off to Iraq and then his brother joins him. And I will tell you the hardest times of my life were when those two boys were together in the same aviation unit, flying Apache helicopters in Iraq. And they did two tours like that. The, and that's when I started writing. Actually, that was my um, that was my way of getting through. I started writing books and in the hopes to help other people get through deployments. But it's definitely harder with your kids. You still see them as those little boys, you know. <laughs> and uh, but, you know, I didn't let it I didn't let it stop me. Um, I'm just telling you that it is harder with the kids. But still, you know, I found a way to get through that. And that was my writing. So I think a lot of veterans and spouses think the same way. It sounds like you found it therapeutic and helpful to get all this down. Is that accurate, Vicki? Yes, yes. And and I actually wrote um, my first book that I gave to the Army to pass out for free. Um, AUSA published it, the Association of the United States Army. And they published it for me. And I wrote that back in 2005. 
And it was meant to be a guide for parents of soldiers. Then um, we, it was so popular, I revised it in 2015. And it's now called Your Soldier, Your Army, A Family Guide. Um, and it, it helped me so much get through those years when our sons were deploying um, by putting out all the, everything I could think of that would help other families and other parents get through deployments or just to navigate army life in general. And I, I had the most wonderful feedback from people all over the country, from soldiers too, that told me how much my book helped you know, his or her family. And what they didn't realize was it was helping me. All that writing, um, by reaching out to other families, it helped get me through the toughest years. Vicki, did your sons and husbands ever overlap in the same unit? Yes. Um, so when September 11th happened, my husband was the commanding general of the 101st Airborne Division at Fort Campbell. And our oldest son, Clint, was in flight school, just finishing up. And September 11th happened, and I'll never forget, I was at my husband's office the next day, and our son called his dad and said, Dad, if you go to war, I'm going with you. And I remember my husband got off the phone and he said, Vicki, what do I do? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, if, if that's what Clint wants, you know, if you are going somewhere, if there's going to be a war, I would rather have you two together than Clint going off with who knows, you know, just right. anybody. Um, and so Clint came, you know, so Clint called his assignments and, and, you know, the 101st always needs Apache pilots. So it was easy to get him there. But Clint signed into the 101st that uh, January of 2002. And, and it was so funny because here he is a maybe he was a first lieutenant then or just barely a first lieutenant. My husband's the commanding general and my husband and my son is like one of the newest lieutenants and pilots in, in the division. So yeah, they, they overlapped and, and then Clint deployed and my husband didn't, they kept the headquarters back at, at uh, Fort Campbell. But um, that was, that was a rough time too. When my husband told me he was sending Clint's unit into combat and that was a real turning point for both of us. Well, from a spouse standpoint, how did you like the 101st? Was that a good assignment for you as, as a family? Oh, yes, yes. And and we were there four different times. I mean, from, wow. from 1984 to 2002, off and on, four times. So everything from company command, um, battalion command, my husband commanded the 160th, and then eventually the division. Um, for me... I always loved Fort Campbell. It was, and and I think it, well, our son is there now and our daughter-in-law and, and two grandsons live there. It's a great place for families if you take advantage of everything it has to offer. I know things change over the years, but when we were there, um, I just loved the way, well, we lived on post. Our kids went to the schools on post, but there was a, there was a sense of purpose there always, whether there were deployments or not. Um, there was always something to do for the spouses. Um, there was a lot of community involvement. You know, Fort Campbell sits on the Kentucky-Tennessee border, and you have the support of both states. Um, you know, you've got Hopkinsville, Kentucky, Clarksville, Tennessee, all these little communities in between. 
they are absolutely the most supportive communities I've ever come across. Um, so yeah, I mean, the first time we went to Fort Campbell, I thought, oh, wow, what is this place? I, I'd never been there. I'd never been to that part of the country. But boy, we fell in love with it. And it was it was a fun place to be each time we went. I had a similar experience there. I was stationed there twice. My wife was stationed there with me one of those times as well. And yeah, great duty station, great community. Could not agree more. Yeah. So Vicki, one of your chapters in your book is thoughts on reintegration. So I imagine you experienced reintegration several times over mm-hmm. the course of your marriage to your husband. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like and how reintegration has changed as you and your husband matured as a couple? Yes. So I felt that was important to have my thoughts on that because people always ask about that, civilians especially, because they don't go through what we all go through. And and so, you know, from that very first deployment when we postponed the wedding, um, that one was like super easy because he came home, we got married and life was perfect. You know, Um, each deployment was different. Um, you know, sometimes it was a, a quick no notice. Uh, he just up and left and, and went on something quick when he was in some special operations things. Um, so it didn't involve that much reintegration, but certainly Desert Storm, that was the longest he was gone. That was nine months, but preceding that he had been gone for almost four months. So it was like he was gone almost a year during that time frame, And so I have to say there was a big period of adjustment um, during that time because he had been gone a lot. Um, our sons were like middle school age. I had completely taken over running the household. I was a battalion commander's wife. So I was used to handling a lot of different things within the unit. Um, and I found that I enjoyed it. I liked I found that I liked being in charge. I liked being a leader. And my husband is too. So you can imagine he comes home and it's kind of like a little clash of, um, you know, leadership there. Um, And so over the years, we did have to learn to, it it was always about compromise, um, communicating, um, you know, because it, it it would be either something little like, you know, the way I was handling the checkbook, which people don't even do anymore. (laughs) But, um, you know, it can be anything from something silly and stupid to, you know, bigger things. And each time we would just have to like work through it. And by the time he went to Desert Storm, you know, we had been married long enough and I had been around long enough to know, okay, this is going to happen. There's going to be conflict. We will get through it because we always do. And the bottom line is, I always tell, especially young couples, don't give up the first time the going gets rough. You know, like hang in there because there is something to be said for even though reintegrating is it's upheaval, it's it's hard on you. I have to say that's what has made our marriage get stronger and stronger because each time we worked through all those little issues or big issues, whatever they were, we came out of it stronger than before. So I think, you know, if you never go through that, you just kind of coast along and maybe you have this nice, you know, 
marriage with no ups and downs. I would rather take the ups and downs any day because the ups and the high points are so great, you know, and when your spouse has been gone for, you know, months or even a year or whatever, and especially if they've been in danger, I have to say, you really do appreciate them. And you, again, you learn to live in the moment and take it for what it is when they get home. And you're just so glad to be back together and be a family that I think that enriches your marriage. I really do. I agree. When I was in the 101st, when I was dating my wife, she was still in college and at the military intelligence course. And I think that made our relationship stronger. And like your husband, we served in Korea, too. In the early 2000s, we were there actually for 9-11. And the way that the 2nd Infantry Division worked at the time, even though we were married to each other, they wouldn't let us live together. We were separate oh, in Korea. Okay. So wow. I think that actually made our marriage stronger because we appreciated each other more and didn't take each other for granted. Right. I, I think so, too. And I know some people would think, well, that's weird to say that. But, you know, it's like even now in, in civilian life and retirement, um, sometimes my husband will have to go off. He's still helping out at the Pentagon and he's a senior mentor. So sometimes he'll go off on a, a little trip out West, you know, with, with some units or whatever. And I kind of actually like it because for so long, I learned to make do on my own and amuse myself and make myself happy. And so I don't mind a break. It's, I think it's healthy. <laughs> well, I think this is a good moment to talk a little bit about transitions. And in your book, you have a time of transition. You have a chapter on that. And it occurred to me that you've experienced many transitions. You went from college co-ed in a sorority to getting married to the Vietnam War collapsing all the way through to, to, to today. So how do you and your husband and your sons as a family manage all of those transitions in your lives? Well, again, it's like um, you just you just learn, you just learn to do it, you know, and, and sometimes, um, you know, all the, all that moving, all those years, you know, every couple of years, and it becomes very standard. I mean, you just know that you're in a place for a couple of years, and you're pretty much going to move again, that that becomes the norm. So then other transitions, I think, um, you know, transitioning to civilian life when my husband retired. Um, initially, I think we both thought it was kind of easy, but then it was like he really did miss army life a lot. And luckily, he went into a, a nice job in the corporate world and he was traveling to New York all the time. That's where his he the headquarters was. And so he he just jumped right into that. And then he got involved in nonprofit work. And once again, that's when I started writing Army Wife. And I have my writing to keep me busy. Um, and I think living here in the D.C. area, for us, that made more sense than going back home to Vermont. So for us, I think the transition was easier than, oh, I think it would have been really difficult if we had gone to Vermont and totally tried to separate ourselves from army life. So, but I would say this was one of the biggest transitions we went through was transitioning into civilian life, but somehow, you know, we've made it work and, and, and now we look back and it's like, you don't realize there's a whole world out there of, of other opportunities. Um, and, and I, our sons, you know, this, 
was the only way of life they knew. So I think it was very natural that they would just, you know, go into the army and do the, the same thing. And, and so, you know, now they're living the life and, and we watch them. It's funny because we see it through their eyes. Now, my husband, will, every time one of the boys is moving their family again, my husband will say, Oh my gosh, I don't know how they do it. I said, Dick, I know, but we did, we did it every two years too. <laughs> you know, it's like now that we're settled, we look at them and I think, oh man, I'm so glad it's not me with the movers at my door. You right. know. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you have a favorite duty station during the time that you and your husband were in the army? Wow, and that's hard to say. I mean, because it's it's for different reasons. Uh, like I said, you know, Fort Campbell became almost like a second home for us and our sons. But we also loved Fort Hood, Texas. And and again, we had never been to Texas. And the first time we got to Fort Hood, it was like, you know, we absolutely loved it. Um, we loved the two tours there. Um, and again, it was the people. Uh, we lived on post. Um, it was just really fun. Um, and But for some reason, when he got stationed at the Pentagon, as soon as we, and we, we were lucky. I mean, he was a general by then and we lived at Fort Myer, this beautiful historic post right next to um, Arlington Cemetery. The minute we moved in there, I said, Dick, you know what? This feels like home. And that's why we ended up retiring. We're like 10 minutes from Fort Myer and Arlington and all of that. Um, I absolutely loved the years in, you know, when he was at the Pentagon and we were in DC, but it was for a whole different, it was for different reasons, you know, it wasn't like um, Fort Campbell, Fort Hood. Those places were fun because of the unit camaraderie and the people. When you get to D.C., you don't really have that. It's not the same because you're not in a unit per se. But it, it's hard to pick a favorite place. It really is. Okay. How about a favorite unit? Did you have a favorite unit that you and your husband were together for? Oh, I think it will always be... First of the 101st, expect no mercy. <laughs> yeah, that unit, you know, that, and that was Desert Storm time frame. And that unit, there is such a special camaraderie. And they just had their 30th reunion for Desert Storm, like about a year ago. It was just so neat being with, with a lot of the people. And we're all Facebook friends. You know, Facebook has kept us connected again, you know. But I have to say, there is just a special place in our hearts for Expect No Mercy, first of the 101st. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Well, Vicki, I imagine that as an Army spouse with your husband being gone so often, and especially in the earlier days where it's hard to communicate, it can feel pretty lonely. And in your chapter on Thoughts About Me, you mentioned being an army of one, which of course is the army's old recruiting slogan, but seemed pretty appropriate for a spouse. How did you navigate being on your own with two young children so often? And how did you help other spouses get through that? Well, well, you know what, Charlie, you just said the, the key sentence there. It was always about, because I was so busy helping other spouses, it, it's like, that's what would get me through. Um, and I think it was actually harder when we didn't have kids and I was kind of on my own and maybe working, you know, part time. Those early years in Hawaii, um, when we first got married, I was lonely. I mean, I was far from home 
And so I, I was a substitute teacher there because we were only there another year after we got married. Um, but it was really lonely. And then once we had kids, it was like my focus was on creating a, a normalcy for them. And then certainly the times when my husband was a company commander, battalion commander, brigade commander. Um, again, I liked that sense of purpose that I had. And I, I took my roles very seriously as a stay-at-home mom. You know, I chose not to work once we had kids. So to me, my job was raising good kids and I was going to do it <laughs> to the best of my ability. And if I was a commander's wife, I was going to do it to the best of my ability. So all of that, you know, of course, at the end of the day, and, and there were nights when it was just lonely and I was worried about my husband, wherever he was. Um, but for the most part, it was the other army wives that we all just banded together wherever it was we were stationed. Um, that's what got me through and made it not so lonely. Oh, if I hadn't had them, well, there was there was a tour that I don't even talk about in either of my books too much because it was a real special missions unit. But we we lived um, like a civilian life for two years. And it was after Desert Storm. And we lived in this little neighborhood. And my husband, the first year we were there, he was gone something like 260 days out of that year. Wow. I didn't know anybody. I was not... We had a unit, we were part of a unit, but not really. It was so obscure. Anyway, that was so hard for me because I didn't really know my neighbors. And when I did talk to people, it would be like, well, what does your husband do? He's in civilian clothes, but he's in the army. Or I saw your husband leave like at midnight last night. It was such <laughs> a strange existence. So that was, that was a two year period of time when, again, I, I volunteered at the kids' schools. We lived like civilians for all intents and purposes. We were like civilians, but my husband was in the army. And he had a job I couldn't talk about. That was, that was. if you asked me what assignment was rough, that was the one. I would not go back to those days. I didn't really enjoy that. I wasn't a happy camper, and I told him that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe I read in your book that your husband was offered a chance to be an original founding member of the 160th and you and he discussed that and decided not to do it. Is that correct? Yes. So, so he was part of um, this uh, back in, was it 80 or 81 when they were going to go in and rescue the hostages in Iran and, um, and the first attempt failed. So then they put yep. together this group of pilots and my husband was one of them. He and his best buddy, we were in Savannah at the time. And that was one of those times he just up and left one day and was gone for four months. And he was he was building the Little Bird helicopters. So then, um, and they were gonna go in and, and rescue the hostages, but in the end, they the hostages got released. So they um, canceled the mission, but then they decided to, that was the beginning. They were going to form up the 160th. And yes, he was um, offered, you know, to go into that and all his best buddies were going. And that was when I sat him down and I said, no, because our kids were little. They were like one and three, maybe, or two and four. And we had a great life there in Savannah, Georgia. And my husband was going to be a company commander. And I said, why would you want to go do more of that dangerous stuff right now? That was the only time I really, 
And I think he needed to hear it from me. I think he was on the fence about should he do that because he hadn't done things like that. Um, but yeah, that was probably the only time I really did persuade him not to do that. And then, you know, the timing wasn't right because then years later he ended up going and commanding the 160. Right. So I right. said, Dick, it all worked out for the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vicki, what kind of advice would you offer for current or future Army spouses based on your experiences and observations? So, you know, I say this all the time. You, you just, you jump in and you just go with it and you take the good times when you can, you get through the rougher times, you depend on those around you, whatever it is that gets you through. If it's like me, it was writing or, you know, whatever outlet you need, if it's a job or, you know, volunteer work or just being the best, you know, mom or dad that you can be to your kids. Um, but I always tell them, stay connected to that, that military community that you're part of. Because no matter what, you are part of some unit, or and even if it's the National Guard and Reserves, because I sometimes get an opportunity to talk to those spouses too, stay connected to your, your husband or your soldier's unit, because that does help you. Um, so, you know, there's that. And... And don't focus on the negative because even the roughest times you come out of them and, and there is a sunny sky ahead. I always say that, you know, and there's a silver lining, you know, sometimes when my husband was gone and I thought it was just going to be the worst time of all, I learned something new about myself. Um, you know, that's another thing. I wouldn't be who I am today. I don't think if I hadn't been an army wife for 33 years, I learned so much about myself. I learned what I'm capable of. I learned that I'm stronger than I ever knew that I was. I mean, if I had stayed in Burlington, Vermont and just lived this quiet little normal life, like some people, I, I probably wouldn't have become a writer. I wouldn't have become a pilot. I got my pilot's license at the age of 32 um, because I was surrounded by pilots. <laughs> Um, but I think about what a there's so many great opportunities, so many great doors to open in this army life and and just look at it that way and and seize the moment, uh, live in the moment and, you know, cherish all the times you can and and hang in there for the long haul, because, you know, yeah, sometimes it's not as much fun. I told you about the two years I really wasn't a happy camper. But then after that, it was like, you know, okay, so uh, I don't dwell on that. I tend to look back on the good times. And how about for potential writers? What kind of advice would you give folks that are looking to get into the same type of writing that you did? Oh, I, I encourage people to do that because there's, I'm finding that there's not that much out there by spouses about this way of life. It, like you said, it, it's usually um, the, you know, service members that write about and, and use oftentimes it's about combat and, um, and, you know, maybe getting injured and, and, you know, things like that, that are very important too, but there's not a lot out there about from my perspective. And so I just encourage people. I didn't know what I was doing when I started writing. You know, I was lucky that I, I got that 
first little guidebook published by AUSA. And, and that kind of started me on my journey. And now I just started working on another book because every time I think I'm finished and I can't think of another topic, I think of something. Um, and each time I think, oh gosh, what if I can't get it published? What if it doesn't work? What if nobody buys it? I do that whole thing to myself. And then I always think, you know what, what have I got to lose? I'm going to write down these ideas, these thoughts, and, and see where it takes me. So I would, I would encourage people, we need more books. I, I always think that we need to not only give other military families something to relate to, but I love it when I hear from a civilian reader that says, wow, I never knew that's what that way of life is like. You know, I, I always hope that through telling my stories, I'm also telling a big picture story. You know, I'm I'm telling about a unique way of life so that civilian readers come away from it thinking, you know, maybe gaining a new understanding and a greater appreciation for the people that serve and, and the families who stand beside them. So I encourage people, if you think you have a story to tell, just start doing it and figure out a way to, you know, get it published. I could not agree more, Vicki. And spouses, as you and I know, and I hope everybody else knows, spouses are an essential part of the veteran community, could not yes. do it without our spouses. So I, I hope we do get more spouses on the show and in Havoc Journal and just telling their stories because we can all relate to some aspect of it. And in your books, right. I think everyone can find something to relate to, especially an Army wife. It was extremely well written. And like I said, very humorous, pretty sassy, too. I, I would, <laughs> uh, Thank you. Well, and I appreciate you having this platform, you know, for for us, you know, for spouses and, and service members to have a platform to speak on, you know, to get the word out. Um, I think it's really important. Well, thank you, Vicki. And I know your books are written, but your story's not over yet. So what's next for you? What do you see yourself doing two, five, 10 years down the road? Well, I don't know. I just <laughs> kind of take it as it comes. Uh, literally just a f within the last month, I started working on a new book just when I thought I didn't have any more ideas left. Um, so, you know, I just turned 70 last November. Um, so I guess I just see myself as if there's another book in me, I'm going to go for it. Regardless of if it fails or not, I'm going to give it a try. Um, because luckily with writing, I don't care how old and feeble I get. <laughs> if I can type the words, I can, <laughs> I can write something. Um, no, you know, it's so much fun watching our sons continue to um, thrive and and become leaders. Our oldest son is a brigade commander at Fort Campbell. Our younger son just got promoted to colonel and he's going to go off to brigade command in about a year. Um, and watching their four, their, we have four grandsons, each son has two, um, you know, watching them grow in this, this life. So again, it's like I'm still a mom, grandmother, um, you know, so just enjoying those moments and traveling with my husband, you know, we have more time and we have the the time and the means now to travel. And um, so, yeah, but I'll, I'll keep writing and keep, you know, promoting um, all those family members that stand beside the, the service members. Uh, you know, I, I can't say it enough how um, how important 
the the love and support of the families are to our service members and and how brave they are to stand beside that service member. Absolutely right. Vicki, we'd love to have you back on the show after your next book as well. So well, good. I would love to come back. <laughs> Just invite me. I would love it. You've been great. It's it's been a, a fun interview. Well, thank you so much. And Vicki, we're coming into the, the segment, but I want to make sure you have the last word. Anything that you want to revisit or bring up or anything you'd like to close with? No, I I think um well, I, I do. Let me just say I have a website. Go ahead and, and say that. Uh, VickiCody.com, B-I-C-K-I-C-O-D-Y.com. And you can go there and check out my books, read excerpts, find out how to order them. Um, and, and I guess I would just say um, to anybody out there, civilian or military, you know, continue to support our veterans, uh, get involved in whatever you can, whatever it is in your community. Um, there's so many great organizations that, that help veterans and, and support our active duty military as well. And even if you're not in uniform, if there's anything you can do, I, I always say just get involved and, and make sure you thank those service members and their families. I think that's a great way to end it. Vicki, thank you so much for coming on the show. Look forward to having you back after your next book. And good luck to you and your husband, your sons and grandchildren. And we'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks so much, Charlie. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes another episode of the Battlefields podcast. Many thanks to today's guest, Vicki Cody, to our editor, Michael Neal, to our sponsors, The Epoch Times and The Havoc Journal. And most of all, thanks to you, our listeners. God bless, and until next time, good hunting on your own battlefields.